Hi and welcome to the CarMed Rebels podcast. I'm Jenny Field. I'm Advita Patel. I'm Trudy Lewis. this week's episode of Carmage Rebels. It's a seasonal change here for us in terms of autumn arriving, winter coming, and we thought it was an opportunity just to talk a little bit, as we like to do, about what that means for us, how that's changing, how we're working, how that's changing our balance of work and life, and in this sort of last quarter of the year. And I wanted to talk about this because I've been sharing a bit, mainly on my Instagram, around the fact that I'm doing a two-week sort of boot camp at home. And this was partly because one of my personal trainers had said, you know, why not you know, have some dedicated time where you can work out every day over the course of a couple of weeks to really get some traction on your goals. And I was just never going to find a two week window to go away and do that. So I've brought the boot camp home and I'm working out every day and I've got some meals being delivered so I don't have to cook on the basis that <laughs> I will just eat what I'm given then rather than wanting to get a takeaway, which is often the fail safe in our <laughs> house. Um, and I'm doing a bit of yoga and I've got some other things in like acupuncture and, and walking a lot and stuff to try and give myself some time in the next two weeks to sort of reset a bit. We talk quite a lot about seasons and, you know, we're quite spiritual people, the three of us, I think, and talk a lot mm. about some of that stuff. So I just thought it was an opportunity to ask the question of our audience, you know, what are you doing with the seasons changes to reset? Is there anything that you're sorting out and changing, like, you know, getting rid of old stuff or tidying, sorting things out? But also for you two, like what's going on for you and, you know, how are you resetting, resorting and enjoying the change in seasons? Trudy? Yeah, I have definitely been doing that because I waffled through the past couple of months uh, where I'm supposed to be resetting anyway and found myself kind of thinking, oh my goodness, how much more things can I fit in between now and the end of the year, which is the period of time that I've allocated. And over the past couple of days, I've been doing a little bit of, I don't want to call it mindfulness, but perhaps looking into being more present. Mm -hmm. And by doing things like that, I've looked at, you know, not focusing so much on the past or on the future, but focusing on my present and actually enjoying where I am right now. And, and with a view to kind of resetting how I focus on the things that are immediate. So for me, it's things like giving myself some rest working on the business, doing some writing, doing all the bits that kind of you would love to do, but you haven't had time to do. Plus the awful admin. <laughs> There's always admin. Yeah. You know, working on all of those things while actually not beating myself up, which is what we need to not do. And I and I really think it's been it's been quite interesting that transition for you get a little light bulb moment and it says, remember this is what you're supposed to be doing. So, you know, I think I think giving yourself some space and time, finding out how you can be present by doing some mindfulness things and looking at, you know, what, what what's the real goals? What are the real things that you want to achieve in a certain, you know, at this point in time, rather than being a bit hard on yourself? Yeah, I think, I mean, we're all quite hard on ourselves, aren't we? But I definitely feel that there is something, you know, with that season changing with that last quarter of the year of, yeah. of being, like you said, saying, focus on, on your goals and what is it that you need to achieve what about you Advita? um <laughs> <laughs> sorry I'll just listen I'll just listen to both of you about how you kind of planned and being quite intentional I am not like <laughs> the, last, the last couple of weeks for me has been a bit vibrant is the word I use for busy and it has been very vibrant and I think that's because a lot of things have happened at quite quick succession and I just haven't had time to, normally what I would do around this time when the seasons are changing, as, as I've spoken about before, is do my kind of 90-day plan. So what does my 90-day plan look like for the autumn? You know, it kind of takes me to that next stage. But I have to be honest, my 90-day <laughs> plan is like 30 days late at the moment. because <laughs> just, just do a 30-day plan. I know, yeah, I'm going to do like a 30-day plan. It has been quite a vibrant time for me. And the things I would normally do to kind of settle my vibrancy has gone out the window a little bit so my self-care Saturdays and my you know fun day Sundays and all those kind of things haven't really happened over the last couple of weeks but you know what as we were saying before we kind of jumped on here was like I think that it's okay 
to do that because there will be moments in your life where things are a bit you know vibrant but as long as you have contingencies in place to support you and it's not sustainable right I know for a fact that I cannot continue at this pace for a, a period of time and I'm fully aware of that you know again before we jumped on we said it's great that we have got a community you know so having both mm-hmm. of you yeah supporting me is really important because I know we've got exciting things going on with Carmesh Rebels as we know yeah. <laughs> uh, a bit of a segue <laughs> so we're doing uh you know with that we, we're bidding well we're kind of pitching that way for the bit of work between the three of us and it's our first pitch as Carmesh Rebels yeah which is exciting but I know that I can't 100% commit to that pitch at the moment because of the work I'm doing so both of you have led with that which I think is really important when you are working on different things and mm. not being afraid to ask for help because you know we often say that you know it's harder because you see people around you who are, are also quite vibrant and busy or seem to be anyway and you you feel like oh I can't possibly invade in their time and but if you're really struggling like I was you know I did say to both of you that I've got a really busy couple of weeks and and both of you are like fine we'll we'll take care of this and it's and that's a great thing about working in a in a team whether you work directly or indirectly and I think if anyone who's listening is vibrant uh, at the moment then please do check out your accuse I've refused to say how, how many how many times has it been said vibrant in the news uh, segment yeah maybe yeah <laughs> I was refusing to say busy ever since we had that conversation from Jenny who says, people who say busy are just not very good at, what did you say? It's only if you're using busy as an excuse. Yes. So yes. I haven't done that because I've been busy, it's because you're just prioritising other things. Yeah, you but I like still the word vibrant, busy. though. I do like the word vibrant. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. vibrant. <laughs> but it does yeah. make so, me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, do you check out, you know, do you check in with other people and reach out to them and say, do you know what? Oh, you, you know what, the other thing I realised, and we, again, we spoke about this, about immediacy. Like I yeah. am, you know, uh, those who know me well knows that I am pretty responsive generally. So if you WhatsApp me, if you email me, if you text me, you normally get a response from me within an hour, generally. You know, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a, a brilliant customer service person. <laughs> like, I will, like, be on it, you know. But recently, I haven't had the opportunity to get back to people as quickly as I would like to. And I have to be okay with that. And I have struggled with guilt with that a little bit. I'm like, oh, my God, I haven't messaged back. And they're going to think I'm, like, incompetent or they're going to think I'm good enough. And, you know, le- learning from both of you, actually, is, you know, it's a case of going it's okay. Like you're busy, you've got things going on. Their ASAP is not your ASAP. I put those kind of practices in place to reduce the guilt on my shoulders because sometimes I can have that. And I like to help people and support them. And I also recognize that I can't be there available 24-7 and that's okay. And that's okay. And, And we have to have those sort of boundaries in place. I suppose the thing for me over these few weeks and this week is thinking about you know my boot camp thing that I'm doing is taking the essence of something and finding a way to fit that into your life so not being fixated on okay but I need to go and do this and I need to go and you know have this boot camp time and really focus on this because I realistically can't do that with you know the business and the projects and the clients and the work that we've got so being able to find a way to kind of build my own boot camp (laughs) someone did say to me this week that you could market this (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, was like, I mean I probably could but I've just gone to different places kind of to find the solution so. yeah exactly <laughs> um so um so I'm quite enjoying it but I think you know there's I'd, I'd really love to hear how people are doing because I do think it is that time where nearly everyone I'm talking to is having a bit of a quieter time this week maybe and next week or getting ready for a bit of winter sun at Vita which we know you are yeah also you know people thinking about sorting stuff out like I sorted my office the other day like I think we are having that sort of time to sort and regroup and as Trudy said to be okay with that like that this is what you're meant to be having this time and this this quiet time so oh I do love a season change but in this episode this week we're talking about how thinking differently can create belonging a topic that I know we've talked about quite a lot off podcast and on podcast about the role of belonging the importance of thinking differently and I have no doubt that Matthew Said will feature in the episode so we (laughs) hope you enjoy it and we will be back next week If you want to find out more about how you can work with us, you can visit our website, which is calmedgedrebels.com. Here you can find out more about each of us individually, and it will also give you links to our own websites, which are colinear.co for Trudy, commsrebel.com for Advita, and Redefining Comms for me, Jenny.
You can also follow us on Instagram and on Twitter at Carmage Rebels. And you can also follow us individually on Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. So if you do want to work with us around communications, consulting, coaching or workshops, please do get in touch. So in this episode today, we're going to have a chat about the book Rebel Ideas by Matthew Saeed. Now, if you've listened to some of our other episodes this season, then you'll know we've talked about this quite a lot and different examples from it. And it's the book that I read over the summer of 2021. And I know both Aglita and Trudy have read it and I have recommended it everywhere. So if you haven't read it yet, please make sure you do grab a copy because there is so much great stuff in there to help us understand how we think differently, why we think differently, the impact of the media, the role of trust and relationships. And there's just loads of great stuff in there to help us realise how diversity of thought is so important in organisations and in our relationships at work. There's a really great story in there about Derek Black, and it's one of my favourite ones in there around how we are brought up with certain beliefs and how it takes quite a lot to change our minds And I'm not going to spoil it because it's a really great story in there, but it's a real understanding of how sometimes when we have a different point of view to someone else, by expressing that different point of view, we are just sort of doing what they think we're going to do. So it just fulfills the belief that they have that we're going to disagree with them and therefore they can just carry on having different views. So it's really interesting to understand how we work as human beings and how that can have such an impact. There's also some great stuff in there to take back to the workplace. So examples from Pixar and Amazon about how they have changed how they work to really create inclusive organisations. But I'm not going to talk too much about it because I want to understand a bit more from Trudy and Advita on maybe what their favourite bits are of the book or or favourite story or favourite section. So Trudy, I'm going to ask you first, what's your favourite bit in it? Yeah, so I really loved this book. It it was really an interesting read and it really excited me. So just to jump right into the part that I liked the best, it was actually the beginning. So the first chapter where he's kind of scene setting, he's he's kind of setting the scene around the whole 9-11 incident and the thinking there as it relates to diverse thinking. And there's a statement that he makes that says, and I'm going to just read it. So it's harnessing the power of cognitive diversity is set to become a key source of competitive advantage and the surest route of reinvention and growth. You might even say that we are entering the age of diversity. And I don't know why, but that statement just gave me a lot of hope. And it also made me feel as if to say, you know, it was opening something up for me that really expressed what this book was all about. The fact that it was talking beyond just diversity in terms of colour or or whatever, but it was really focusing on diversity of thought and diversity of of how bringing together different types of people from different walks of life could bring you a really strong viewpoint. It could help you to create solutions and so on and so on and so on. And I think just listening to to how he phrases again, I don't want to give away too much, but it's it's that whole phrasing of what happened during 9-11, especially with the CIA, FBI and all the rest of it, that so much made me think, oh my goodness, how narrow sometimes we think, Mm -hmm. how narrow we look at the situation, because although it's describing a really big scene, a a big thing that happened, these are the types of things that happen in organizations. You know, it's very simple for people to bring people together who are exactly the same and think that they're gonna come out with some great solutions, when really what they need to have is a bit of diversity of thought, in order to come up with the best solution for the organization or for the time that that they're in. So, so yeah, it really excited me and gave me hope, to be honest. Mm, You're right. That's a really great bit at the beginning. I'd sort of forgotten that. And yeah, just there's so many bits of it, aren't there, where you're just like, oh God, like, yeah, why didn't I think of it like that? Like, that's how I felt the whole way through. Um, Advita, what about you? What was your favorite bit? Oh, I, you know what? I was just furiously flicking through my book to find my favorite bits. I thought, oh, I love that bit. I love that bit. And I, I did love the Derek Black story. And, you know, I just absolutely adored how it kind of played out. And I think, you know, if, if you do buy this book, that is one story I think that I think will resonate quite a few people just because mm-hmm. of the, just like you, I don't want to spoil it, but that was one of my very favorite stories. But the one 
story that I really kind of made me think a lot about the way we sometimes hold power in conversations and the challenges that we can face is the Everest story uh, and the climbers who were um, going up Everest and you know you always have a lead person don't you when you climb not that I would ever know this (laughs) (laughs) you're a mountaineer are you (laughs) (laughs) you know all those mountains I climb every day but, you know, apparently if you go mountaineering and if there are mountaineers, you'll know this. There's always a lead person who takes a lead because, you know, Everest is definitely one of the most challenging and, and you know, scariest kind of mountains to climb. But one of the, the story in there talks about leadership and it talks about the way some people talk about leadership, but don't really open up for two way feedback and conversation. And one of the mountaineers, the lead mountaineers spoke about, you know, I am the boss. I don't want any arguments when we go to the summit. Like, I don't want to have any discussion. This is just the way we're going to do it for your safety. And he kind of set the scene at base camp. And within his kind of crew, there were experts from all sorts of different walks of life, one of which was a pilot who understood weather conditions quite well, right? Because the pilot needs to know this. When they started to climb the summit, the pilot recognised that there's something wasn't quite right. But because of this kind of big speech this lead mountaineer person had given, they didn't say anything because I felt that they couldn't, because they'd already put this power in play, like I am the boss, no one speaks to me. And, you know, I'm not going to spoil the ending or anything like that, but things didn't go well, basically. And all because this individual just was told, like, I don't want to hear from you. Like, I don't want any arguments, I don't want any discussions, it's just the way we do it, I am the leader, and if you can't put up with me being the leader, then you know where the door is. And I do think that sometimes in organisations and the people that work with and leaders who are under immense pressure and are under a lot of stress and are trying to deliver great work and perform. So, you know, organizations that may be struggling and need to kind of take up a level, do go into that stress kind of like, I am leading, I'm a leader, I need to lead, but often forget about some of the expertise in their team that they could reach out to and speak with to help them get to where they need to get to. And it was just such a fascinating story because I could really, it really kind of resonated with me in terms of how we see the traditional types of leadership and we're not really moving away from that as quickly as we should be in current times and the same with the pilot and the pilot story in there as well which is a really famous story so many folks would have heard this is where a pilot in the 70s I think it was late 70s the wheels weren't coming down you think I know the terminologist right working at an airport for five years (laughs) landing gear is the landing gear that's it Trudy (laughs) The wheels weren't coming down. Anyway, the landing gear wasn't coming down. So he decided to fly around the district while he figured out what was going on. But he didn't pay much attention to the fuel gauge, whereas the engineer that was on board knew that the fuel wasn't going to get them going around. And not many people would have died if we had landed without wheels. But he didn't recognise that, actually, he didn't check the fuel consumption. And the plane, sadly, you know, it's a quite famous story, crashed um, because the engineer didn't have the didn't, didn't want to belittle the pilot's decision right so he held back and he didn't say anything obviously we don't know what exactly what the conversation was that took place in that cockpit but that's the kind of you know from the black box and the kind of discussions that people may have assumed that's what would have happened and again that's another story of like leaders not really opening their minds to different ways of thinking and losing their leadership title often to be the right voice and it leads on from that productive disagreement conversation we had didn't we a few weeks ago about what does we need to have an environment where we can have productive disagreement where people you're looking at the better outcome not who's right or who's wrong and that those two stories definitely were in, like really thought-provoking for me in that book and I like Jenny said like you said at the beginning Jenny this book was life-changing for me and that's such a bold statement it really is a bold <laughs> statement but it was this book which made me recognize that we need to do more of this type of conversation this whole yeah. power of diverse thinking and the difference it makes and that kind of cut you know put that kind of catalyst in my mind in terms of what can we do mm. to, to kind of get that conversation flowing the bit that I really took away from it as well was the importance of diverse thinking and different backgrounds and not necessarily the diversity that you can often see which I think is often the diversity that we think about whereas actually there's some really great examples of how you need to bring different voices and people with different backgrounds and experiences that might not necessarily have expertise of the certain topic or industry but that they can bring different perspectives in and it made me realize how closed I think some industries can be to that outside perspective but it also made me think about that openness to listen to other people 
And I think that that sometimes we're quite quick to disregard somebody's ideas or thoughts or suggestions because they don't know enough about that industry, profession, topic, whatever it might be, which then made me think about why we listen to certain people and why we don't listen to others and and all those things. So there's there's lots in there that really made me think differently. And, and one of the things was the the whole being intentional piece, which is a thread, I think, throughout the whole book of the need to be intentional with what you're doing in order to make sure that you're giving everybody a voice. And that that for me felt like quite a strong theme in the book and certainly a strong theme of the conversations that we've been having over the last year of that need to be intentional with your culture. And if you want to create that sense of belonging, that need to, to be very intentional about that. And I just I want to kind of pivot us a bit to talk about that because there's some great examples in the book of doing it. But I'm really interested in your experiences around that different thinking and that feeling of belonging that can come with feeling safe and able to have some of those conversations. And I know, Advita, it's the big area for you in the work that you do. So I just wondered what you, you know, whether you'd seen a change in the last year, whether you think there's a lot of work to do, anything, any thoughts around the kind of belonging, diverse thinking, safe spaces stuff? That's such a big question, isn't that? <laughs> yeah. God, it is. And I do think, you know, when I always try and be the positive penny that I am, you know, I was trying to think that we have made progression, definitely. But there are things that, that happen in our industry in particular. I'm talking about the communication and PR industry. That makes me think that we haven't moved as forward as we'd wanted to move. And you know why I kind of go on about representation matters and it does matter. And I completely agree with this whole, you know, I honestly don't think you should be picking, you know, tokenism is not the answer for belonging or inclusion. It is about widening widening your network and widening your space so you can bring in different foods of thought so we move away from the echo chamber. And I do, I do believe that we haven't quite got there in some of our kind of industry learning points, you know, so events and webinars and conferences. We do tend to kind of stick to the similar voices and the same kind of topics of conversation and same discussions. And one thing I loved about Matthew's book was that he did talk about that diverse thinking. The other thing, you know, around that is a lot of people use diversity of thought as an excuse not to have representation. Because I'll say that we've got diversity of thought in this room. But my kind of conversation, my kind of argument, I suppose, a discussion is have you though? Like have you really mm. got diversity of thought? Have you are you looking at socioeconomic background? Are you looking at age? You know, I, all of that contributes to the kind of different ways of thinking. And you know, sometimes it can say, yes, we have. We've done our kind of due diligence and we've got people from different backgrounds having that conversation. But there was an interesting part, I think. In, I think it was in Matthew's book. Or it might have been an article that I read around that kind of belonging piece is that, you know, they had a very diverse committee I think it was my I think I don't want to I don't want to get the thing wrong but it was some sort of committee meeting that they were discussing some policy and they had different voices around that table different voices in the sense of different uh, races ethnicities sexualities gender but one thing they didn't consider was the economic background and how they were brought up so all of those people around that table had private education all of those people were privileged in some way or another all of those people had very similar upbringing so they didn't really consider the other area of that. So even though they had different ages, races, ethnicity, sexual, all that in there, they didn't really consider the outcome of what they were trying to do, which was, mm. I think, you know, see how the kind of lower economic families can thrive in, in current times. I think that was what the committee meeting was about. And you can't create a sense of belonging when you've never really experienced that in that way, or you're not willing to go out and understand the other side of the story. And that's what belonging is about, is that what are you doing to make sure that the people that you're serving and the conversations that you're having, that you are creating an environment where everybody can have some sort of, you know, point of view or or a voice to be heard in that way. And there's another article that I read yesterday, in fact, and it was about a young person, 25 years old, ADHD, I think they were diagnosed with, but had never spoken in 25 years and his one of his parents have written a blog about growing up you know bringing up a child who's never spoken ever and how we often go down this route of you know we need to speak on the behalf of x y and z to you know if they don't have a voice then I'm going to have their voice and make them belong they said actually it's more about amplifying their voice not about speaking on their behalf and that really kind of resonated with me you know because I think that we often fall into this you know, when you become an ally or you become a supporter and you, you want to kind of 
help change happen and create change and cultivate change. We do think, oh, we're going to speak for those people who don't have that voices. We're going to stand for those people who don't have those, you know, the opportunity to speak. But it's not about standing in for them. It's about how do we amplify? You know, how do we look around that room and realise we don't have fair representation here? You know, we don't, we're not amplifying the voices that we're not seeing. So how are we going to make sure that they belong? It's, you know, the excuses, and I'm saying this intentionally, it is excuses that conference organisers say to me when I reach out and say, you haven't got representation, in my opinion, on your panel. And they'll say, you know, some will say we've got diversity of thought. Some will say we've got, you know, we've tried. And I'm like, but you don't understand how this looks to somebody like me or somebody who doesn't look like your speakers and in terms of do we belong in this space so what are you know I know it's hard I know it's difficult but what are you doing to make sure that you are being as representative as you can by the publics that you're serving and I just don't think we do that very well at the moment mm-hmm. sadly no I, I, I think that's fair Trudy what about you I I don't think that we're there yet. I think we've got a long, long way to go. I feel encouraged by books like this because it talks a lot about reaching out to those other people and people and the fact that you won't actually get the results that you want to get by continually addressing the same types of people. And certainly I think one of the things that stood out for me was how you know, we're not just talking, I think like Avis just said, we're not just talking about black, white, we're not just talking about gender, we're talking about socioeconomic, we're talking about age, you know, all sorts of things. I think it's sad that we are not as far gone as we should be. Uh, One of the strong themes throughout the whole book for me was around collaboration and team building and so on. And if you think about that in the organization, there are teams, there are team building, but things are still very cliquey. And, and also people select people based on biases. The book also mentions something about biases as well. And we're so biased in a way and in a very quiet way, we're biased or a subtle way that we don't address our biases. And if you were to say to an individual, oh, do you know what? You realize you may have made that decision based on a bias. People may well get offended by that, but the reality is, you know, it's just a reality. It's just something that we have to face. Everybody has a bias. And what's important, and I think what Matthew's suggesting throughout this book is the fact that we need to make an effort to walk past our biases or to acknowledge our biases and maybe invite other people to the table, get other people around to talk to us. And all I'd say is that although we're not there yet, is even through what we're saying to to our audience here, is an encouragement to kind of think before you just address or bring together the very same people that you always would bring together, just because they're familiar, they're the same as you, they're from the same school as you, or the same background as you. It's have that thought. And when when you then match that with the word intention, it's an intention to say, I'm not going to keep doing things in the same way that I used to do them because I'm realizing I'm not getting the best results. I'm actually causing us to just go around in circles around a situation simply because it's the same voices going round and round and round on these topics. And there's a real danger to that because when you think about where we are in terms of diversity, we are we're in a pivotal place, I think, where we can either do really well on it and let a lot of people begin to feel a bit included or feel belonging, or it's going to be the opposite. And then we're going to continue with segregation. We're going to continue with people feeling excluded. And then these groups will begin to think to themselves, well, I'm going to make a group myself, or I'm going to come together myself. So we'll have, if you think about it, we will just repeat the mistakes of history we'll do the same things over and over again and I think that's what I'm most concerned about if we don't pay attention and become intentional around this whole idea of diverse thinking there's quite a lot to, to there's just so much isn't there and I think there's there's so much work to be done and I think there's so much to me that links to you know, social media, media in general, you know, the world that we live in today, the pace of it, how we access information, all those things that form our opinions that I think are such a big part of 
our ability to create belonging, create diverse organisations, to create that safe space, to have productive disagreements, which we've talked about in previous episodes. There's so much in here. There's a specific chapter in the book on echo chambers, which I really enjoyed. And there's a, a, a piece in it about the difference between echo chambers and information bubbles. And for the benefits of my podcast co-hosts, I'm on page 186 of the book. <laughs> it's like a book club. I love it. <laughs> I know. I could see you both just frantically looking. Where's she going? Where's she going? So on this page, it says, to understand what is going on and to fully glimpse the internal logic of echo chambers, we need to draw a subtle distinction between echo chambers and information bubbles. As the philosopher... I'm not going to try and say this name. It's C Thai, and then the surname is N-G-U-Y-E-N. Notes, information bubbles are the most extreme form of isolation where people on the inside see only their side of the argument and nothing else. These kinds of social groups have rarely existed in modern history except in cults and other walled institutions. Echo chambers are different. They may cut some people off from alternative views through informational filtering. And it then goes on to say that research by digital scholars Elizabeth Dubois and Grant Black found that 8% of people in the UK have such biased media exposure that they experience a distorted version of reality. I mean, wow. So, I mean, I know that's not very many, but 8% is still quite a large number of people that are experiencing this distorted view because of the exposure that they're getting from the media. And I liked the difference between echo chambers and information chambers, because I think we use them quite interchangeably. And again, it's just to come back to the distinction between the two, an information bubble, if you like, is when you don't hear people from the other side. An echo chamber is what happens when you don't trust people from the other side. Mm -hmm. And this trust piece comes in again and again and again. And I think there's something about organizations, where we work, the relationships we have, where trust is such a fundamental part to how we're able to collaborate and cohabit and, and work together, that if things like information bubbles or echo chambers are distorting our versions of reality through media and through what we're being subjected to, then how do we learn to trust people and believe people and and have productive disagreements that feel safe and respectful. And I, I don't know what the answer is here, but I just, I feel like all routes to me lead back to trust, which in some ways takes me back to our previous season and the last episode where we talked all about trust and fear. Mm -hmm. But I just, you know, I, I read quite a bit there on echo chambers, information bubbles, you know, trust, any thoughts? Advita, I'm going to <laughs> eagerly looking oh, to say something. Honestly, I know. And <laughs> the, the information bubble thing is so interesting because, you know, I'm, I'm pretty certain that we've all got friends and family who are in these information bubbles. And I think the pandemic has quite clearly shown where these information bubbles can sometimes come from. And I know from my own experiences and conversations I've had with people about them believing a certain version of the truth because of the, what they've read on their social feeds. And the, num and the amount of energy it takes to people to say, you do realise these are algorithms that are tuned in to your social activity. So if you are you know, conversing around a particular subject, you will only be shown information around that particular subject. Like you will not get mm -hmm. the other point of view ever because it's a business. And this is what the other thing that people don't understand about social media, it is a business. The longer you're on that platform and the media outlets, right? It's all businesses. The longer you're on those platforms, the more money they make, right? It's it, to completely put it in simple terms. So it's our role and responsibility as individuals living in this world to make sure that you go outside of your information bubble and look for data and insight and information to give you the other side of the story. And the number of arguments honestly proper this this is not productive disagreement these are arguments I've had with <laughs> friends and family about this I'm like but where's the data like where's the data where's the information where's the insight who's telling you this because you need to be able to we, we're in such a different world now than what we were in 20 years ago there's so many people claiming to be experts and specialists in certain areas that we're, we're in that it's really difficult to kind of decipher the truth and build, you know, and, and get that. And it's so easy to now to build connection online. It's really easy to build that trust. You know, how many people do we follow online that we've never met, 
that we've never had a you know, sat down and had dinner with or anything like that. But we actually do like what they've shared and talk about. We converse with them online. But, you know, we built that trust with them. And in fact, some of, in, in my case, in the last 18 months, some of these people have become really good friends of mine. You know, if you think about how quick it is now to build that kind of trust online, that some people struggle, I think, to step outside of that bias and think, actually, this is what I'm hearing on this side of the story. What is going on on the other side? Where do I need to go and find out more information? Mm. I just don't think we do that enough. And I also don't think people mm. are tuned in enough as they should be in terms of media and some of their agenda and social media and some of that agenda. And you can get sucked in. And again, we go back to the case of belonging, Jenny. All of us as human beings want to belong. You know, we want to be part of this group. We want to be part of the community. And if somebody online or somebody in the media is aligning with your thinking and thoughts, all of a sudden you feel connected and belonging to that space. And that's how all these horrible terrorist groups start, right? And how these kind mm-hmm. of gangs start, because it's a sense of belonging. And, you know, I strongly believe in educating children at school age, right from the minute they understand digital technology on how to manage that and how to be mm. very conscious about the information that they're getting fed. And I just don't think we do that enough right now. No, and I don't think we appreciate the, the not the, the dangers of it sounds a bit extreme, but it is a bit the dangers of it. I was reading something not that long ago that said something like, and I can't remember it, and I will will dig it out for the show notes, but it was something like 13% of self-harm or suicides in young girls can be linked back to a, a certain social media app. And I just thought, wow, this is really high, like the impact that oh. social media and everything can have on people. And But also, sadly, not surprising. And I think there's so much, you know, like you said, our, this huge need to belong and feel part of a group or a team or whatever can be so powerful for good, but can also just be so very harmful to everything around us. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I think, you know, I'll dig this out for for the show as well, but I read an article a while back now about we're the loneliest we've ever been, Mm. even though we're the most connected we've ever been. You know, we've lost that kind of community spirit in the towns that we live in. You know, people move frequently now because just because we don't have any kind of sense of loyalty to organisations because... We just, you know, we live in a global world, really, with the with the expansion of the the web and the internet and all that kind of stuff. So, but we are very lonely, and you know, things like horrible things like you know, young women and men in particular looking at mm-hmm. comparison and thinking that they're not doing as well as other people, or comparison themselves because they don't look as good because we've got so many filters out there, and it just it distorts reality. It's, you know, where people, it's a very lonely space we're in and we need to make more of an effort not to be as alone. And this is a completely different topic and we'll talk about this in other, in other episodes, but which is why, again, this whole hybrid working and remote working and being in your own bubble, I just don't think it's healthy for humans. And I think it's okay if you've got a good network of people and friends and family around you who you may connect with. But even then it's a bit of an information bubble, right? You kind of say, mm. but going into the office or going into the workplace and meeting different people and different perspectives, can transition and change the way you can communicate and connect with other people which is you know we've all spoken about our kind of feelings on this but yeah we are sadly we are a very lonely society at the moment Mm. Trudy Mm. yeah just going back to that whole point of information and echo chambers as well it's just you know I remember during Trump times, there was a a reporter that was speaking to a group of people who were seemingly diverse. They were of the same political persuasion, so they weren't diverse, really. And these people were asked the question about, you know, where had they heard their crazy news stories that they were talking about. So they were highlighting a few news items that they believed was true. And this group of people all said, oh, well, we watch Facebook as a way of telling us what's happening. And I just thought about when you were talking about echo chamber, that story just reminded me of it. The poor reporter nearly fell off her chair when they said this because she had to ask them again. And they said, no, 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 that, you know, it's a reliable source. A number of them were saying that. And when I also think about how many people don't actually read the news, don't actually engage with what's happening, but then at the same time do not understand the fact that, if you're only reading one thing or if you're only looking in one area for news, that you are actually just embracing the same thought, the same idea. So everybody is following. It's almost like we're a bunch of sheep kind of being herded around 
we're all following the same tune. And, you know, in recent times, people have quoted quoted the fact that they've read George Orwell and thinking that, yes, that's that's the time we're in. <laughs> um, and, and it's really interesting how we're almost stuck in this space of thinking that it's okay to do that. So I was talking to a friend who's been doing quite a lot of PR and media recently, and she said, you know, she can't rely on one viewpoint. She has to she has to read almost every single news outlet. She has to go even further to find the information in order to stay out of that echo chamber and that information bubble that's kind of shaping you in a certain way. So I do think it's really important. We need to read widely. We need to push ourselves to, to not just form opinions based on the immediate thing that you've read, but perhaps find out what the other side is saying about the same thing and that that will help. And when you think about that, then in terms of belonging and understanding other people around you, you you suddenly begin to understand where somebody else is coming from. Mm. And then until you've got that opinion, that second opinion rather, you will not understand where somebody else is coming from. You won't understand why somebody else is upset about something or why somebody else has reported something in a certain way. And I I just think it's really important for us to, to not be so narrow in our thinking. I know we, we're kind of brought up that way, but at the same time, we're in a space that we need to change that. And when you then link it all back to trust, how can you trust something based on the one viewpoint how can you just be so open to hearing one point of view and just trusting it and for an organization who says do you know what we've only got one little voice going and we're not listening to anybody else and we're not doing any due diligence we're not sharing any data or anything like that you know it really really annoys me when an organization says we're going to withhold information from people because we don't want them to worry I mean that just doesn't make any sense but that's what happens sometimes Mm. so I think somehow we do need to get past it and it's not just about social it's about kind of all of it Mm. So we're getting to that point of tips, This, which is going to be hard today because I'm going to throw a, a real question at us now, which I know I've got to answer myself, so I'm not being, <laughs> I'm not being mean. <laughs> but I feel like there's some advice around what do people do to kind of take that responsibility to be open to listening to other perspectives and other viewpoints. So how do we encourage people that might be sitting there going, I don't even know where to start with, you know, having other voices around me, or I don't know whether there's a tip around kind of creating an easier one would be how do we build more trust in organizations but I feel like that's too easy but I think there's there's a couple of those it's that trust piece of how do we create more trust but there's also the piece of people that might be listening to this thinking do you know I do have a bit of an information bubble it's not an echo chamber but I am in an information bubble how do I take myself out of that in order to to have some more diverse thinking around me now there's There's one other bit in the book, which I just want to mention before we go into that, which is a labour economist called Michael Hausman, who talks about an experiment that they did. And there's just one line that I've highlighted on it where it says, the ability to question defaults makes a huge difference in a changing world. And I think that just nicely summarises some of the points you were both saying about we can't take things at face value and we've got to question, but we've got to feel safe to do that. And we also need to know where to go to get that other information. So I filled a bit there for you so you could think about your tips. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So, Advita, anything from you? You know, it's such a good question, uh, Jenny. And I think, you know, one of the things for me, it's about making sure that you are looking outside of your information bubble. Often we spend so much of our time with people that make us feel comfortable, right? And that's one of the things. And we're all like this, you know, even I'm putting myself in this as well, that I, you know, I like to be told, Oh, that's a great thought, Advita, or well done and all that. And I know that's my community and those are my people that will tell me that. And I have to really push myself to go into those kind of bubbles and other places to learn stuff that I am not aware of. And it can make me uncomfortable. And that's when the inner critic does come out, right? And you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I often say that great things don't happen in the comfort zone. I know one of the things that I recently did was I am fully aware that in the work that I do with a leader like me, disability awareness and working with disabled people was not something I was familiar with or had any experience in. 
and I have to admit, you know, it was something that made me a little bit uncomfortable because I didn't want to get it wrong. I didn't want to offend anybody. I didn't want to get anything wrong. And it was only when Matt Webb called out Priya and me about eight months ago, just before our very first conference that we did, to say, you don't have any disability awareness on your agenda, a great agenda for you on disability awareness. And, you know, both Priya and I kind of were like, oh, my goodness, he's right. Like, we don't. What on earth? And we, you know, acknowledged, we apologised, and we brought him on board to help us learn more about this space that both of us were unfamiliar with. And there have been times where I have felt very uncomfortable with some of the stuff that's happened because I am fully aware that some of the things that Mark talks about and the community talk about is I have been one of the people that have made them feel that way at times. Mm. And it's been a big learning curve for me. And as uncomfortable as it is, I am now fully aware of what I need to do to educate myself to be better than what I was yesterday. And that's the big thing. So all we ask people and everyone that's listening is it's not about perfection. It's not about being knowledgeable about every single area of the work that you're in, but it's about being better than what you were yesterday. And I think as long as you kind of align with that and put yourself out there a little bit more and expand your circles, and this is whether you work in business, whether you work in any personal life and all that, it'll make a massive difference to your knowledge base. And that's the big tip I would say is just write down who your circles are, where did you meet them, how did you connect with them, and there'll be a pattern there. I guarantee there'll be a pattern. And be very honest with yourself and writing it down. And the reason I say write it down is because it is quite stark when you look at it. And I've done this myself, by the way. So when you write it down and you look at this piece of paper with all the names that are in your circle and the people that you get information from, you're like, oh my goodness, there's a pattern here. There's a pattern and I need to kind of break out this pattern. Mm. So that's my advice. If you're listening and you're kind of thinking, how can I get outside of this kind of comfortable zone I'm in, write down the people in your world that you listen to and get advice from and how different are they from you and your background. And that's, I think that's step one for me. Nice, good tips. Trudy, what about you? What are your top tips? For me, it's going to be something I always bang on about is being curious. <laughs> it's the whole thing of being a little bit curious about what's around you, the information you're getting, challenge the things that you're reading, consuming, seeing, and, and also ask questions. And I, I say those two things go really closely together because if you're curious, you're going to ask questions. And it means that you're going to perhaps, or I would even encourage you to reach out to other people. So if you if you always have a group of people come together to do something, maybe go beyond who you would normally reach out to, to get included and include them. Or maybe ask what they would do. Ask of others different opinions. Because again, if you only stick to one way of thinking, you will always, always do the same things. You'll have the same opinions going round and round and round in circles, as I've said earlier. So the whole thing of being really, really curious and asking questions will help you. And those are, you know, quite simple ways, I think, of just starting to do to make a change. And then secondly, as I said, inviting different people, inviting people that you wouldn't normally invite to the table, to the discussion, to your organization, to push past your biases. So when it comes to building trust as well, I think leaders need to be a little bit more transparent, a bit more open. I'm going to use the word a bit more vulnerable. Um, <laughs> and, and those are the types of things that then I think will open things up for people when it comes to these spaces, because people aren't trusting, because there's so much they are aware of the misinformation. They are aware of things that are out there. And so for that reason, they do tend to be a little bit not trusting. And it's helping them along by seeing something that's real and being authentic as a leader. And I think those are really key things for people to do. Mm. I, I always love the, the being curious. I think it's such a big part of what we need to do. The only tip for me, in addition to both of yours, and I think some really helpful stuff people can go away and kind of really think about is very early on in the book, there was a bit that really sort of surprised me and, and probably shows a, a weakness in my own learning around how different people focus on and see different things. And it's an example about like an ocean scene quite early on, and it's Americans and Japanese people. And it says that the Americans, you know, focus on the fish, whereas the Japanese focus on the context of the scene. And that for me was 
was a real like wow moment because you always think everybody looks at things from your perspective, whereas understanding that the focus is different for whatever reason that might be, and, and it's explained more in the book, but it's so important for us to respect and understand that, that even though I might focus on the fish, Advita might focus on, you know, the context and everything else. And, and being able to have respectful conversations and discussions about that, but just that acknowledgement that everyone sees things differently. And I think that's the thing for me, that if you're looking to to make changes or, or having conversations or looking to think about how you can open up your, your thinking, is that acknowledgement that everyone does come at stuff a bit differently. And I think it's just so important for us as we look to build trust and create better conversations to help us move forwards. I think that's that's a fundamental mm-hmm. part. And I suppose the only other thing for me is to bring in people that aren't necessarily linked to whatever it is you're doing and whether that's your own business, whether you've got people in your organization, if you work in you know, HR, communications, IT, you might have a group of people working on a project, but you haven't got representation from different parts of the organization that you might think might not be interested or have anything to add, but actually bringing them into that conversation, that space will bring different perspectives and different viewpoints that will enable you to to do things probably much quicker and much better. So I think it's just a a real lesson to not not be closed off from other people and not dismiss people based on Mm. they won't have anything or they won't want to or or whatever that might be. Yeah, and job Um, levels, right? And I think we can often be a bit hierarchical in some places mm -hmm. or experience. You know, some conversations like, oh, they won't know because they've only been in the business for a couple of years. It's like, "Mm." yeah. They probably have a lot too hard. You never know. And I think we need to get (laughs) past this whole right wrong thing, right? I think you know it's not about being right wrong. And that you just reminded me of that scene in in the book where they talk about the different perspectives. And it's not that the Americans want right or wrong, and neither were the Japanese wrong. It's just a different way of looking at things. And that's the whole thing about diversity, right? It's a different way of looking at things. So uh, yeah, I love that segment of the book. It just reminded me of the Internet Explorer and the Safari segment as well. Yeah. yeah, Who downloads which one and what it means. And that's, we won't spoil it, but that's a really interesting section on that in there as well. There's so much. So I think our main tip is to to read and (laughs) buy and read the book. (laughs) Read the book, read the book. Definitely. Read the book. Because it just, I think, yeah, just, and just try and think a little bit differently, but it's, um, it's a really powerful book and I know a few people have picked it up and read it. So definitely one to add to the list. So powerful that I've actually got Matthew coming speaking at an event I'm doing in. I have to do a little, I had to get it in. Did you see that? Nicely done. Nicely done. That's That's well done. Oh yeah. I know. And that's, and this is why I mean it changed. Matthew's book changed the way I think and it inspired me to do an event around diverse thinking and people who do think differently and to do a conference in Manchester on 14th of June 2022. I was going to say come on get the date get the <laughs> 14th of June. how do we get there? <laughs> uh, 14th of June 2022 and it's going to be a hybrid event so we're going to have it in person and we're going to have people because I've had a lot of my American and Canadian friends in particular to say oh we really want to be there as well so we are going to do hybrid and I do think that's again different ways of thinking I do think we need to embrace all of that but yes I've got Matthew he's agreed to speak at the event and oh my goodness the excitement is just another level yeah and we're all going to be there yeah we're going to be there (laughs) we're all going to be there well yeah obviously I'll be there but yeah (laughs) and you two obviously have no choice but to be there of course not and we're going to have dinner with Matthew, whether he wants to have it or not. I know. Thought, thought going to accost him, I think. I know. So, Matthew, if you're listening, dinner's dinner the night before, right? We, I'm not going to go to your You'll be delighted. <laughs> to find out more about us, how to sign up to our comms retreat, or to listen to past episodes, go to calmedgedrebels.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe, and thanks for listening.